This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirit solved the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore na. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. These are available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores across Ontario. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast episode 153. 53. And we have an amazing episode coming up for you tonight. So I had a conversation with a couple which was phenomenal. So I spoke to April Hernandez Castillo and her husband, Zalo Castillo. And you might know April because she was an actress. She's like Law and Order, Dexter, Freedom Writers with Hilary Swank. She's in a ton of stuff, but she- Freedom Writers, is that the show where they're in Alaska? It's the movie. Is that a movie where they're in Alaska and trying to solve a crime? No, no, no. It's like Hilary Swank's like teaching kids- Okay, I don't know that one. I've probably seen this woman and just don't know the name. And Oh, 100%. Yeah. And now they dedicate their time to advocating for victims of domestic violence. So April herself had gone through this whole experience when she was younger. So we talk about her experience and she so graciously shares it with us. We talk about recognizing red flags, what to do if you think that you are in an abusive relationship and then their their social work. Here's what was interesting about this interview. And mind you, I wasn't involved in this interview in any way. But (laughs) afterwards, when you were finished, you said it was so fun and funny. And this conversation topic doesn't seem like it would or could be fun or funny. So how does that happen? (laughs) Well, okay, April and Zalo are just they're like really wonderful people. And I love how they work as a team and watching them in the interview, which the listeners won't see, but you guys, you'll feel it. I just liked when they would give each other a chance to speak the different things they'd offer. And like they were, they were cracking jokes and they bring in levity because they're at a point in their healing journey. And I say Zalo along with Rachel on her healing journey. And the reason she asked if he could be a part of it was not only do they do the advocacy work together, but she said he's Wait, like- we, Alex. Oh, sorry. You, you said sorry. your word. This is your word you can, cannot say. Advocacy. Yeah. Shit. You said it in that way. Keep it in because, <laughs> you know, it's- uh, I just Advocacy. Didn't, uh, I just didn't want people to be confused. And uh, she said, you know, Zalo is a huge part of that journey for me. So I want him to be here. And it was awesome. But it was, they're at the part in their journey story where they can reflect upon certain parts with levity. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate discussing a heavy topic with a little levity. And I don't know, I just, I thought that they handled it incredibly well. And they were like a joy to talk to. 
Yeah, I feel like that's kind of our style too with our satirical videos. It's taking yeah. on sometimes a serious topic, but with a humorous touch in a way. Mm-hmm. And it, it it can be a bit of a tightrope walk, but I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, you had a good time because I was I was thinking, <laughs> oh, after this conversation, Alex is going to be down or something. You know, sometimes the heavier interviews yeah. can put a certain mood on the night, but it did not. No, they they were fantastic. So you guys are going to like this one. But Shane, yeah. cheers, baby. So okay. tonight, non-alcoholic cocktail. Oh, wait, let's get a better I tried plate. to cheers, but it's covered in sugar. There we go. We got a seed lip sour and we did a little sugar rim. So it's like sweet Mm. and sour. Okay. That makes sense. Let's try this. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I do really like this when you go above and beyond and get the the fancy one. And the (laughs) holidays kind of lend themselves to putting a little bit of more effort into the cocktail. Oh, they do. Plus, I had a hard day. Like I was, I was cruising around the city guys on one kilometer gas in my car. It was. It was a long day. It was an exhausting day. And this non-alcoholic cocktail is just what I need. I'm going to blame myself for you being low on gas because I was doing a lot of driving. And I said to myself, I have a feeling <laughs> Alex, since she's used to doing majority of the driving, isn't going to be checking the the gas. It's true. And since you, I did so much driving on the weekend, you're going to be, since you don't really look at the fuel tank... <laughs> You're just going to be like going by memory thinking, oh, I've got a a good amount. I don't have to worry. And then, of course, boom, you got one kilometer of gas because our car tells you the exact amount of mileage you have until you run out of gas. And you had to call an Uber, go to a gas station. Fill up a container with gas, come back home and put it in the car that way. It, It was hectic. It was a hectic night. Yeah, I could never... Let that happen to me only because I have so much anxiety. First thing I do when I go in the car, I start getting worried about how much gas I have left. Okay, it was at 19 when I turned on the ignition today. You, if that was me in the car with 19, you'd be like, Alex, why didn't you fill it up? So I'm going to ask you, Shane, why don't you fill it up? Uh, I had Because I had the two kids, Mm. if if I was alone, I would have 100%. But I, I was racing time a little bit. I, I had to bring Lucy and Betty to my mom's. I had to take her to the mall. Uh, we also had to go to a funeral, and your hair appointment went an hour longer than... Okay, you know, I, I should know by this point in my life, I always say the hair appointment is going to take two hours. It takes three hours minimum. I know that now. I learned that from the last time, because last time you said two, it takes three. Like most things in life, always assume it's going to go that hour longer, and then if it doesn't, it's a welcome surprise. So maybe even if you think something's <laughs> going to go three hours, say four. Yeah, but... Shane, I do want to ask you about something. So I've been seeing a lot of stuff just like, I don't know if it's just the algorithm I'm in on TikTok or something, but people trying to get their life in order, trying to get things in order. I think I think it's very much this time of the year, that kind of conversation. Yeah. You know, we got New Year's coming up. People want to set goals. They want to set certain goals, maybe even for the holiday season for themselves and with their family and friends, whatever. And... I've been seeing a lot of people, I guess it's a trend right now, doing these like affirmations. I don't know what it is. It's like some dancey thing, but with Snoop real. Dogg. Snoop Dogg says all these affirmations and people are dancing to them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is, I didn't know it was Snoop Dogg. This is me. I never watch social media with sound. So I never actually know what people are doing. I only see the text. Yeah. Snoop Dogg has an <laughs> affirmational song out and a lot of influencers and content creators are 
dancing along to it. Oh, this makes me the worst uh, content creator. But in regards to getting your life in order, Shane, I think this is such a skill that you have. And you've helped me with this in a lot of ways in setting goals and actually achieving them. And like I've talked about them before on this podcast, but I've got, you know, a friend and his wife in the manifestation industry. Okay. And I'll say it's like, you know, big business big manifestation industry, like they're trying to get your money like crazy, right? And they tell you to, oh, write your goal down on a piece of paper and watch it fly into the wind and then it shall come true. And it's like, it's all bullshit. So I want to talk real ways to manifest your future, real ways to achieve the goals that you set. Because if we're thinking about goals this early, Let's not just think about the end point, but let's start thinking about what we yeah. can do to actually get to that end point and actually find ourselves achieving something for real. Yeah, I like that. I, I think the key is how you frame things in mm-hmm. your own mind. I think it all starts within your own mind. For, just to give a little bit of an example, if you're trying to quit smoking, right, and someone offers you a cigarette and you say, no, thanks, I'm trying to quit. Just in that very nature of what you said, you're saying you're trying to quit. But if someone offered you a cigarette and you said, no, thanks, I don't smoke, mm-hmm. you're way less likely to ever smoke again. If you say, I don't smoke, I'm not a smoker because that's how you look at yourself. But if you say you're trying, you're always trying. And when, when, when do you cease to become a smoker? Mm-hmm. So it's that, that frame of mind you put yourself in, I think, is the key starting point. You know, I got to say too on that because I've heard that conversation happen you know, mm-hmm. how many times with like friends and whatnot. And I always feel like that I'm trying always in my experience always lends itself to that like, oh, how about one last one? And then they're like, all oh, right, yeah. I'm just trying anyway. So what does it matter? Like it is interesting that never happens with alcohol. Like if someone's yeah attempting to not drink alcohol anymore or if they're an alcoholic or they just simply choose not to drink you rarely hear someone saying no thanks i'm trying to quit it's only with cigarettes that people say trying to with alcohol it says no i don't drink and then people respect it Mm -hmm. and i think if more smokers applied that methodology to smoking there'd be a lot more people who quit more successfully or quit earlier than at a point in their life So if somebody's like, Alex, you want to go sit on the couch and watch a TV show with me? I have to say, no thanks. I'm an Olympic level athlete. And then that'll get me on the Peloton. Yeah. And and that's the thing about working out too. You have to think about the after effect, like the the benefits from it instead of the like, like a big excuse for not working out, I find is I'm too tired to work out. Mm -hmm. But working out in an odd way, it gives you energy. And a lot of people, they focus on that the health benefits and the physical, the way it makes you look like working out is good for me, because I might shed some pounds or whatever. But the way it makes you feel should be the important Mm -hmm. thing to focus on. Um, Jonah Hill has a documentary out called Stuts. And he talks about that and his his struggle with um, working out and his relationship with it was helped a lot by because no one ever framed working out with him as a mental thing, a thing to help his mental. It was always to make him look better or uh, feel better about how how um, he can fit into pants or yeah. whatever. But it's actually 
how it makes you feel should be the number one attribute or reason to work out. So I do find when it's interesting when people say, oh, I don't have the energy to work out. But the second you get on that bike, you'll you'll have the energy and then you'll feel energized afterwards. Well, sometimes too, I get my best workouts in when I'm not feeling energized because I'll get on the bike and I start slow and it is grueling and it's painful and it takes me so long to get into it. And honestly, the first like six minutes, I'll be like, I hate my life. I hate myself. Why did I choose this? Yeah, I'm a masochist. And then I just, I start putting it in because I've set my bar so low in my head. I'm like, as long as I can get through this 20 minutes that I've achieved something. So then just by setting the bar low for some reason, I end up trying like, well, since I'm here, I'm really going to go for it. And then I go for it. And then maybe at minute eight, I'm, I'm really working hard. And then that carries on for the rest of the ride. And then I feel great when I get off. Yeah. Exhausted and like dying, but great. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that carries over into your days. And then you want to make healthier choices because you want to complement the riding that you're doing or the workout that you're doing. And you want to complement your healthy choices and other aspects by riding. And it's like, it just, it all goes so hand in hand. It's copacetic. And I love how it kind of just creates a little atmosphere. Yeah. You know? And, And I think the only way to actually get in sort of any rhythm or groove is to plan a time that's the most beneficial for you to work out mm-hmm. and just make it non-negotiable. And and that's it. A lot of people, they say, um, oh, I'm going to work out. I'm going to get on the Peloton when I, when I feel like it or this perfect window of opportunity opens up. But that window is never going to be there, much in the same way us doing this podcast. If we don't say every Monday, rain or shine, we're doing this when the kids are settled in bed whether it's they settle at 7 p.m. or 10 at night, we're still doing it because we just have this obligation that we've bestowed upon ourselves. No one else has, but it feels legit. It feels like we have to do it mm-hmm. or we're not going to feel good about ourselves. And after I'm done recording the podcast, even if it's shit and I'm just blabbering on as I am right now, <laughs> it feels good. I feel like I've accomplished something, even though really, what am I doing? Just talking to you on the microphone. And I, I find the more I'm away from it, the harder it becomes to record. We went we went through a long period where we every other week we were recording or sometimes we could take two or three weeks off. And if you have the sniffles right now, that could be enough of yeah. an excuse simply not to do the podcast. And you're chasing excuses if you're not in a good rhythm or you don't have a good habit formed. Oh, yeah. And working out is so similar. And you know, I'm trying to get back into the habit of working out again right now because I just I really need that. I need that outlet. It's almost like as a creative outlet, even though it's physical. Yeah, I just I think better. My head is clearer and it it goes in all aspects of life. And I really do love it. Like I love the Peloton, not only the bike itself, but like just the exercises that I can do in the living room, the circuits mm-hmm. and whatnot. I, I really enjoy it. And working out just it's it's not working out because I think about honestly from when I was 15 to 26 working out was solely hard cardio to get thinner and to look a certain way and that's the only thing I thought and I mean at Western you go into the gym there and it was all women on the cardio machines just killing themselves on the elliptical or the bikes just 
yeah. trying to get thinner. And that warped how I looked at working out for a very long time. And now I'm in a mindset where it's like, no, I feel so much better mm-hmm. when I'm doing it. Honestly, I do in, in every regard, but I just know and, you know, just know myself. If it's after 5.30, I honestly don't have it in me. So if I'm working out that day, I need to get it in. I need to get on the bike or start moving before 5.30. Yeah. Well, that's also a narrative you have telling yourself. But I bet if when you are feeling your most tired, if you even said, I'm just going five minutes on that Peloton, no matter what, I'm going five minutes on it. I bet you, you would keep going longer than that and you would feel better. But you have told yourself this story. So your body believes what it, it tells itself. No, you know, I just, I hate the idea of working out past 5.30. Like, I want to be in relaxed mode at no, that point. I agree. But I found that just going on the Peloton, the Peloton, <laughs> Peloton, it helps me relax. It does. And that's what I've told myself. Would you, okay, wait, would you ever do it? Like, if I can't fit it in during the day, would you ever do a circuit with me in the living room? Of course. Yeah, I, I do anything constructive. Because that could be fun. Like, that could be a fun nighttime activity. You know how if, like, let's say I, I made a big plate of nachos yeah. and you didn't eat it with me? <laughs> I'd feel weird about eating that plate. Like, it's yeah. more fun to do something together. It's like that with working out, too. I find bad I things, like air quoting here, bad f- fast food is is weird to eat alone in a way for me. And working out is more fun with a, a partner or someone else doing it alongside well, you, too. We're both team sports people, so it makes a lot of yeah. sense. Reading, too. Like, yeah. if I was up in my room reading... And you were down here watching TV, the reading wouldn't feel I'd feel like, oh, this isn't doesn't feel as good. That's why I'm the codependent. I try to not be like toxically codependent, but you and I are more like a team. Yeah, I was like and and I mean toxicity all depends on how it affects one person and the other person. But if both people are happy being codependent in that way, I don't think it's toxic. You know what mm. I mean? It's like it's not causing any negativity. And I love team reading. Yeah. Like, And folks, you've heard us talking about reading on this podcast. And there's a goal. I think we've made this a goal like three years in a row. But we have finally started reading. It feels good. Yes. And I think setting a what has helped is your social media account. Mm-hmm. Creating a schedule for your account and what happens when and where has made me think about other aspects of you and my our life together and how we can set reading on Thursdays. Every Thursday we read. Can we read more than just Thursday? Of course. I even started bringing a book on the train, actually. No way. It's just like the power of once you start something, it's hard to stop. And I, I, I hate reading on the train because words jump around for me and uh, distractions and all this stuff, it really hinders my comprehension. But I wear noise-canceling headphones with brown noise, which for whatever reason makes the words jump around less and blocks out any extraneous noise. And I'm, re- I'm the guy who's reading on the train, which is not me at all. And you're currently reading Matthew Perry's book, right? No, uh, Roseanne, my uh, stepmother. Oh, that's She her. wanted okay. me to buy that for her. What are you reading? I'm reading, oddly enough, a book about creating habits, if you can't tell. (laughs) So it's called Atomic Habits. It's by James Clear. I read it a while ago when the pandemic started. I was really trying to get us on a good forward trajectory Mm -hmm. with your social media account. And now I find it, now that we're out in the real world again, 
I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate life. I'm going back to work. I'm commuting. I need to structure things a little bit better. It's easier for things to fall off the rails because things like the Peloton aren't always just a room away anymore. So I actually have to carve out time to do these things. Mind you, I just had a mole removed. So it's recommended that I do not have heavy exertion for the next two weeks because it can cause irritation for where my mole was removed. But I'm trying to go on walks. I'm trying to do push-ups, things that don't make me sweat or irritate my uh, mole area. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have that mole area itchy. Uh, well, you scratched it too. I know, guys. Mm. I made it bleed. The day after he got it done, I reached over at, to him at like bedtime to give him a little forehead caress and a little kiss to be like, I love you so much. And I meant for it to be like really loving. And then I just peeled off the fresh scab on his mole and it started bleeding everywhere because i am weird in the sense that some people like head scratches but i like my forehead hardly scratched with nails (laughs) like a hard scratch on my forehead and alex sometimes will scratch me hard but that's where i had a big ass mole and you scratched (laughs) it and it started bleeding and i do not think it's going to heal the same okay i do want to get back a little bit to the just getting your life in order because shane when you were just talking you mentioned i think the most important thing for us anyway Mm. in creating habits in actually achieving a goal and that's just to have a schedule that can't be messed around with like obligations and on this day you have to do this on that Tuesdays you have to do this and we have that for social media we have that for other aspects of our life like reading we used to have it for intimacy during the beginning of the pandemic when everything was like hard and it was it was (laughs) I like that word no it was you know what I mean it was so difficult right because everything is just within the home and it, it was so difficult and uh it helps. That has been huge for me because I'm the type of person who's like, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. But then I say that 10 times in a day and then I have 10 things to do tomorrow on top of everything else I already had to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then your whole week gets out of whack. For me, that has been the most helpful. And then I want to say, as my last thought on this, take cold effects. And I'm saying this honestly as a part in letting you get your shit together and manifest your dreams shane was reading about cold effects he's like this is helping people not get sick we started taking it pretty religiously and i have the sniffles and i'm stuffed up right now but for months it has stopped us from like crossing the threshold of kind of sick into really sick but you haven't been taking it as religiously as i have so that's why you're sick and i'm not see i was taking it religiously 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 for like two months and I was great. And now I fell off, but I'm back on it. And I think it's keeping me from like getting bad right now. Well, there's all sorts of studies on how it works. There's also studies on how it doesn't work. And it's a placebo effect, which I would argue it does work. It's yeah. kind of like the Santa Claus of medicines in the sense that if you believe it, it will work. If you don't, it won't. My mind is very susceptible to the power of influence and belief, especially when taking medications. If you tell me, any pill will have a side effect, I will experience that side effect to the nth degree. But cold effects, for whatever reason, and by the way, I am the ultimate man baby, perpetually sick. It's true. uh, Headache, tummy ache, I can't do this, not feeling right, person in the world. I have not been sick in probably six months. Sick at all. As long as you've been taking it. As long as I've been taking it. And there have been 
a lot of people around me sick. I, I have two children, you, my mom's sick, my sister's sick, everyone's getting COVID again. I take the train into work, haven't really been masking. Mm-hmm. I've been fine. You know More than fine. This is the best I've ever felt in my entire life. This is not an ad either, by the way. I know this <laughs> seems like this is all just some lead up to a weird infomercial that has sucked you in right now. But no, I don't know. It just has worked for me in the most insane way possible. Yeah. And I am jealous that you are on. I need I need to start. See, I'm. that's a habit I need to do. I need to get into taking it constantly. But the thing that's more annoying, honestly, than my stuffy nose, yesterday I was filming a video for a client, True Earth, and it was like just a bunch of like stunts and silly little things. And at one point I sneezed into a cup of flour and the, to make the flour go all over my face. And Shane, my eye has not recovered. I got flour right in my eyeball. Still in there. All day. It has been bothering me mm-hmm. all day. And I can't even see out of my right eye properly. If I if I close the right one, I can see perfectly at the left. If I close the left, everything's yeah. blurry. And it hurts. Well, wow. You, kudos to you for really committing. I know people who don't know Alex very well might think by appearances... She looks like some princess who's probably very high maintenance. Not a Alex princess. is willing to get nitty gritty, go full commitment, unnecessarily even. <laughs> Just, I, I don't know what she's, like, you will, if you need to carry a box to the car, you'll like carry the heaviest box and not let me help you. You will unnecessarily perform a stunt for this True Earth video where you pretend you're hanging up lights and you commit to falling into shrubs from a decent height with all your body weight thrown caution to the wind off of a ladder. And this is after I put you in a way less precarious position than you were originally willing to fall. <laughs> you were originally letting your foot to hook on the lip of the ladder, which probably could have resulted in a broken neck. So yeah. I changed your footing. And I was like, Alex, I'm not comfortable with this. However, if you're going to do it, this is the way to do it. You're just like, <laughs> and then you're like, owie, it's like the, the woman who uh, was grape stomping in the viral video and she yeah. fell. That happened to you. Oh, but it was brutal. You, you, you were trying to tough it up, but. You've since, like, you have a rib injury, I guess. Like yeah, a- I fell on a big branch. So I fell on a, uh, an old juniper bush, and I thought it was a flimsy bush, but there are some big branches. Well, it's flimsy till it's not, right? That's the thing. Yeah. It's, you're going to hit the hard ones, and it, now you have a total rash so all over your it body. Took, it took the wind out of me, Yeah. and now I have a bruise and a sore rib, and then landing on the juniper part like the part with the little spikes don't say juniper part like i'm supposed to know that <laughs> well people told me say online sticky part. they told me it was a juniper bush and this is what happens and i have the most disgusting rash and i went to work today because like creeps up onto my hand and i saw somebody just kind of looking at it so i got super self-conscious and i kept that hand hidden all day Shane knows I speak with my hands a lot. Even if I'm speaking to myself on this podcast, I speak with my hands a ton. So then I made the point of keeping my right arm completely still and out of focus all day and only spoke with my left hand. And it looked uh, crazy. I looked like a crazy person. Well, you look good right now (laughs) with the long sleeve shirt on. Thank you. But Shane, with that, should we do our interview with April and Zala? Let's do it. But before, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. They make the best nursing bras that you can get your hands on. You can say that again. 
They make the best nursing bras oh, you can geez. get your hands on. Oh, no. Mom jokes. But truly, I got into these bras when I was first breastfeeding Lucy, and they were a revelation. The quality is amazing. They were so practical and just so comfortable. So comfortable. You can say that again. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website to get access to the everyday collection. And this collection is amazing. They are not nursing bras. There's no clips. These are just everyday bras. Everyday for, for non-pregnant women. Everyday boobs. So these are at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of which website you go to, if you use the promo code thisfamilytree20, you're getting 20% off. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com and This Family Tree 20. But we are also supported by True Earth. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been on the path of reducing our environmental footprint. Ain't that the true earth? And one way that we're doing this, among lots of ways now, all which can kind of be done through True Earth. So please go check out their site because they have so many products. But one way we're doing that is just by eliminating single-use plastics. And an easy way to do that is by switching out, you know, your household cleaners, your laundry detergents with True Earth Eco Strips. So their detergent comes in these soluble pre-measured strips that you simply rip apart, toss in the machine. Now, does soluble mean melts when water touches it? You know, look at the science major in the house. <laughs> so there's no plastic involved in this at all the packaging is so compact i think we have three years worth of true earth in our laundry room right now and it takes up about six inches on the shelf now compact means small right you're on fire shame but as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin we usually opt for the baby detergent because it's fragrance free gentle on everybody's skin but it's still so tough on dirt our clothes come out smelling amazing and super clean so you can check out true earth detergent at true Earth. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10, you're getting 10% off your order. You're going to love this product. Take my word for it. And again, that is True.Earth and ThisFamilyTree10. And now let's get to our interview with April Hernandez Castillo and Zalo Castillo. Zalo and April, welcome to This Family Tree podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And you'll have to excuse the light show that you're getting. My Christmas tree is right in front of me. So it's just going to be like a disco on my face this whole time. <laughs> But, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I am so thrilled that you were able to sit down with me. And this is a tougher topic that I reached out to you for, but I know that you are both advocates for domestic violence, which is why you're both sitting here. And I'm so happy to get the perspective, not only of a woman who has been through it, but your partner in April, as you kind of said in our messages to each other, your partner in healing. Uh, so I welcome you both. And April, you know, I was reading about your book, Your Voice, Your Choice, a story of resiliency and redemption. And I want where does your story start? Wow, my story starts in the Bronx. That's where I was born and raised and I still reside. Uh, my family and I live here. We've, we've lived here the majority of our lives other than when we travel. And just growing up in a time where it was a really tough time in New York City. It was during the crack epidemic era, during the Reagan era. And, and it was it was really tough, but also amazing and profound. And it developed my character and and your character as well. He grew up in in um, 
Dykeman, would you say? Manhattan? Dykeman, Upper Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. And so it's one of those things that when you look back, although times w- were tough, there were just beautiful moments with hip hop being birthed at the same time with um, communities that we knew each other and we knew the neighbor. Uh, everyone knew your name. And, and, and summer times were just the absolute best of my life. I, I tell my daughter all the time, I go, I wish that you could have lived our lives during the summer where it was about running the streets. It was about playing all of these games. We didn't have the telephone, right? We didn't have access to any of that. But, but really understanding um, that no matter how bad it seemed, there were still beautiful things that came out of growing up during that time. Absolutely. It it is so different now. You know, you mentioned that and it makes me think of like even when I was young, just staying out until the streetlights came on. And then that's when you had to go back home for dinner or whatever. And it is different now. And honestly, I don't know how my parents handled that because I don't know if I'd be able to handle that with my kids, even though I'd like them to have that experience. I don't know if I could do it as a parent. It's tough. Not in these times and days. Uh, <laughs> not at all. And we have a pretty uh, fairly nice neighborhood, I would say. But that sense of community, it's it's still it's still around in places of America, but uh, not so much. <laughs> New York, New York is definitely feeling like the wild, wild west right now. It's in certain parts. In certain parts, it's just one of those things of like, I can't even think of allowing my daughter or our daughters to just go to another neighbor's house. That thought just drives me crazy. So oh, bless yeah. our parents. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I do agree. And it is tough. And I'm sure also with your experience, I mean, that's something I want to ask you, you know, later on in the conversation. But I'm sure that impacts how you parent and the boundaries that you set as a parent, because all of our experiences shape how we do everything in life, especially as we age. But when does your experience with like domestic violence start? And how, how did that come up for you? Because obviously, you know, nobody's ever running into the arms willingly of somebody who's saying, hey, I'm going to be very abusive. So it looks different, I think, that entrance for everybody. Well, for me, it started when I was a teenager from the age of 16 to about 19 and a half. I started dating this guy who was a few years older than me. I fell in love uh, for the first um, I don't know how how long the time was before the actual abuse began, but it really did feel as if, wow, I was hit hard. My first love, that moment of, of bliss, when everything is amazing, when you're exploring relationships as, as a teenager. And then once that moment happens of violation of someone just belittling that word right there, (laughs) demeaning you and just ripping you of everything that you've ever known uh, to feel safe, to feel protected was taken in a moment. Um, And that started with a slap. And as I say, and I share my story actually in my, in my new book, um, embracing me, my memoir, it escalated from a slap to choking, to punching, to isolation, um, all of these things that was slowly destroying the young girl, the young woman that I was becoming up until about 19 and a half. 
So I was physically and emotionally abused. So when it's, you know, when it happens that young, I think it's a, I mean, I'm not going to say it's especially scary. That's kind of what I was going for. But I, I, I don't think that you can measure fear or impact. But you're just especially vulnerable because you have no basis for what a secure relationship should look like. You're young. You're, you're a kid. Like I was an idiot when I was 16, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, it's honestly just by luck that I found myself in nice relationships with nice like boys, I guess, but you are so open to influence and to manipulative people. And at what point, you know, it's, it started out nice, blissful, and then with a slap, how long does it take? Like how long does it take to to progress from the slap to you sitting there and saying, okay, I'm in an abusive relationship. Can I chime in real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So having known my wife for 21 years and having heard this story numerous times and having processed this part of her life a thousand times, Mm -hmm. she did have a standard for a safe, secure relationship because it began with her father. Her father was a good role model, a great role model in her life and treated her well and gave her that sense of security and of what love looks like, looks like and sounds like. And I think that when the abuse happened, automatically April knew, and 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 if I'm if I'm out of line, let me know. But I think automatically April knew something's wrong here. Um, But I also believe that she wanted to, in fact, protect her abuser. I think there was the the, the shame that was also um, a part of keeping it a secret. Um, You know, and how can I let my parents know about this? You know, I'm not that I'm I'm not this type of girl, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Because I I, I heard the comment um, that you didn't necessarily have a standard for what Mm -hmm. a safe relationship Mm -hmm. would be. I think a lot of people do because it starts at home with their parents. Right. Um, so to go back to this question that was just posed, mm-hmm. you know, when, when and how fast did it, did it, did it, did it, did it go from, you know, being sort of like in a honeymoon to, Oh my God, realizing this is an abusive relationship. You know, I think as a teenager, you don't even really back then there was no language for it. You, you just knew, hmm, this, is, this doesn't feel safe. I didn't have the language of gaslighting, you know, love bombing, all of these new words, vernaculars that are, that are developed in these days. I just knew when I'm with this person, they do really bad things to me. And if I don't get out, something really terrible will happen. Mm-hmm. That was the mindset back then. Um, and it was really just saying, how, how did I get into this? And how do I find a way out? Remember, I was a teenager, so I didn't have access to the internet. Mm-hmm. I didn't have access to a phone that I can just call anyone. Really, they were just shelters. And that was that was it back then. So the lack of information um, was something that, I, I didn't have any control over. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, Zalo brought up shame and like kind of not wanting to say to your parents, you know, oh, like I'm not this kind of girl and for being a reason for maybe not bringing it to light immediately. And I think that there's a lot of that shame and stigma, again, when it comes to shelters and there absolutely shouldn't be. But I, I know when I was young, I I absolutely thought of them in in a different light. Like now now as a an adult who has a better understanding of the world and what people go through, you know, one of my best friends just opened um, a really beautiful shelter in our city. And y- you realize the deep need for that kind of thing. And I wish that people knew, because I am in education and I work with a lot of high school students, and I wish that that stigma wasn't there. Because I think that when you are young, you you view it in a certain way. And I, I want to ask, you know, hindsight 2020, looking back when you realized that you were in that kind of relationship, were you able to look back and say, oh, there's a red flag, there was a red flag, there was a red flag that maybe you missed initially? Oh, there were so many red flags. It's scary. <laughs> I mean, my my family didn't like this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one was really fond of him. And when you're, you know, coming from a Latino family who everyone is very <laughs> honest. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think my family had an inkling that there was something not right. Yeah. They didn't understand the depths of really what was going on. He was very awkward socially. And, but I thought, oh, he's just quiet. (laughs) You know, it's one of those like, oh, he's just quiet. He just likes to do his own thing. He's different. But really those were the signs of how awkwardly, awkwardly um, social he was. Um, When he was around my family, he was jealous of them, jealous of my relationship with them because he didn't come from a close family. So it would just be a fight for me to have a family outing we would get into huge fights. And so I would end up lying a lot because I didn't want to be around my parents. I didn't want to be around my cousins who I knew did not really, they didn't appreciate his presence. Um, And so those were some of the signs now 20, right? Hindsight, you're just there like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Gosh, why didn't someone say something? But if they did, I wouldn't have listened because- you're just in that stage of no one can tell me what to do. I love him. He understands me, you know, and, and I don't want to abandon him the way that he's always been abandoned. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally get that. And I mean, my listeners know I brought up on this podcast before, you know, at one point my mom came up to me. I was dating this guy in my early 20s and she said, you know, Alex, I don't feel good about him. I have to I hate I hate to say this, you've been dating each other for a couple of years, but I don't like him and he's not for you. And I honestly think you need to break up with him. And it took her so much courage to say that to me. And it wasn't an abusive relationship. I, I, I don't think that he was the kindest to me verbally, but it wasn't, it wasn't abusive. Mm-hmm. However, I was so pissed off that she said something to me. I dated him guys for a full year after that out of spite. I was about to break up with him. Before she said anything to me, I was about to break up with him. I was getting it ready. I was getting all my ducks in a row, lining up my next date. She said that. And her and I, and we have a great relationship. I couldn't even speak to her after that. I was so upset that she didn't have like, 
I don't know, faith in me or something to make that decision. But she had faith. She just wanted to let me know that she was on her side. But it's hard when you're in that position when, you know, like you said about abandonment, this guy had abandonment issues too. And I I didn't want to be the jerk to to further his, I don't know, like self-hate, insecurity, wherever that was coming from. I think that's just, that's just the nurturer inside of us as women. When we see someone hurting, we want to help them. We want to let them know that we believe in them when no one else believes in them. We don't want to give up on them. And so really that's, that's what it was because I just saw this person who was hurt and had issues. And I thought maybe if I loved him enough, that could heal him. Don't. Don't be fooled too, though. We men play into that. Mm. Men know. Men know, especially when they get to know you really well, and even even when they don't. I mean, a lot of men know how to push that button when it comes to women to get them to, uh, for lack of a better term, sometimes feel sorry for them or, mm-hmm. right. or have, have this soft spot. Like we right. we create that space in the heart. And in their minds to love us that 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 sort of way, but then we turn on them, mm. you know. But we at least know we have that space there that I can always go back to, and play it like a violin, right? You know, we know what to say, we know how to act to get on your good side again. So it's not it's not a decision that's only on women. I think uh, men certainly know know what they're doing too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just as people, right, we have the capacity to be loving, the capacity to be kind, and the capacity to be self-serving and manipulative, right, depending on what we want. Right. But also, uh, you know, having not only heard of my wife's history, but other examples as well, sometimes in abusive relationships, it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. not all bad Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, they're very compatible. They have chemistry, so on and so forth. So, you know, there's there's that hope that women have that this is going to work out or or he's going to change. He's not going to change. And that is why it takes so long for some women to leave. Yeah. Okay. Does it not take, I, I don't know if it was a show or an article I was reading, but it takes like on average, a woman leaving five times before she's actually out and out of the relationship? Do, do you know? Seven, seven to eight times. Seven to eight times. Seven to eight times. Yeah, because I think you hit it on the head that when it's not mm, always bad, there are those moments. And you have to also think if they have children, some people, you know, the thought of getting divorced is too much. Um, a woman not having enough financial security to leave. Mm-hmm. So it takes her several attempts um, before she actually makes that decision. And, and, and for some women, you can just go like that to them and that's all they need. Or you can just speak in a way that they know I can't, this is not safe for me. I'm done with you. Everyone has what I call their their threshold, their threshold of how much can I take, how much am I willing to take until I finally say that is it. And even at that, when you do say it, there's still this residual or this habit that you're just used to. And so you go back uh, until you really just say, that's it, I'm done. 
So how did you, in your experience, approach the situation? You know, you're recognizing like, hey, I'm in this abusive relationship. My intimate partner is being, you know, whether it is emotionally or physically violent with me. How did you get out of it? Like, did it take you a long time? Did you have a low threshold? What What did that look like in, in your experience? I mean, my threshold was was up until almost four years. But it just got to the place that I thought, I'm, I don't I don't like myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know who I am. I don't recognize me. I would look in the mirror and say, who am I becoming? Or how did I get here? How did I allow this person to do all of this to me? Um, you know, I'm what, 19, 19 and a half. And I'm, and I'm trying to just survive each day. Uh, when I got into college, it got worse. And he would just begin stalking me, showing up out of nowhere. He would make my friends feel uncomfortable and it's it's the most embarrassing thing when people begin to know mm-hmm. in high school i was able to really hide everything but during college that was the tail end he would just randomly show up and and it wasn't like oh that's my you know they go hey Bill. you know he came to drop me off some flowers it was why are you here like i don't know i'm in school and he had to know everything that i was doing and he began making my friends feel really, really uncomfortable. He just had that presence. And for me, I just knew this is it. I'm done. I, I was feeling very suicidal. I wanted to hurt myself. And I thought if I continue this path, I know it is not going to end well. So it's either him really doing damage to me or me doing damage to myself. Sorry, no, like that's that's scary because, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, well, either option is is not good. They both end with me getting hurt in some way. So did you find like, did you have somebody in your life that you spoke to or did you go to a shelter? Like, how did how did you get out of that? Because that takes like immense courage. Right. Uh, No, I just got on my knees and I prayed. And I said, God, I need you to help me. I need to get out of this situation, but I don't have the strength. So I I really just prayed for courage because like you said, it takes that much courage to finally leave. And I felt this strength that I didn't have before. And I knew, I knew that it was God. I knew that it was a moment that something, something was rebirthed in me. And I wanted to live and I didn't want to be in this situation. And then I called him up and I said, hey, I'm done. I don't want to be with you anymore. Um, and obviously he <laughs> was not happy was and say, he yeah. fought and it was really ugly and how it ended. But eventually it just, he just like left and I, I didn't see him. He didn't come after me, you know. I just really was afraid if he was going to attack my family because he was that vicious Mm -hmm. and and that vindictive. And so that, that to me is one of the reasons why it took even longer because I knew that he had the ability to, to attempt to hurt someone in my family. And that is such a real fear. There was recently a parole hearing for somebody. We don't know this person personally, but uh, friends of the family her parents were killed um, by her sister's 
ex-boyfriend. And, mm. you know, his parole hearing comes up every so often. They have to go in and do victim statements. And he hasn't been let out. And just the pain they carry. And those things happen. Like, we live in a pretty quiet neighborhood. And that mm-hmm. happened in our quiet neighborhood, albeit, you know, 25 years ago. But it still happened. And it is such a real fear. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's the thing. I, I think when, when people are talking about DV intimate partner violence, we're always looking for this monster. Yeah. And that's not the case. <laughs> the monster is the guy who has a great smile or if someone's in a same sex relationship. It's that person that you, you, you look at them and you go, no, they're, they're great. They're great. You know, they, they put on this persona that makes everyone else fall in love with them. They manipulate friends, family, but behind closed doors, that's where everything happens. And so it makes it even harder for the victim because everybody loves them, right? Everybody thinks that this person is great. That wasn't my situation. Nobody loved my, my, my boyfriend at the time. But when you, th- when you hear about grooming, mm-hmm. right? And when they're being groomed, when they're just, you know, doing everything to, to make the situation seem fantastic, and people fall in love with them. And then, you know, you try to tell someone, hey, he's abusing me or she's abusing me. And they go, that's impossible. When I'm around him, he's great. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's why I'm, that's it's like a web. There's no black and white issue that it's so it's so gray. There's so many things. And everyone uh, experiences abuse differently. You know, and I think Zalo mentioned you guys have been together for correct me if I'm wrong. Twenty one years. 21 years. Okay. And that's like a significant, beautiful amount of time. And coming out of a relationship where you are experiencing abuse, domestic violence, how does that shape how you go into new relationships? Does that not make, does it not make it so difficult or do you compartmentalize? Because obviously you guys have made it work beautifully. Like you have beautiful kids, you've got a family, like it's obviously working. And I, I'm curious how that transition happens. I don't think we have enough time to go through the entire <laughs> trajectory. Well, let me let me just start off. I, I mean, it's 21 yeah. years, right? For me, I just didn't think I was capable of loving or being loved. I really didn't, and I was so young. But I just thought this is this is where my chips fell. And I'm just going to make the best out of it. And I'm just going to go after a career. And and I don't really have time for love. And then he came into my life. Well, we found each other. And honey? Yeah. I like the way you, you, you put it. You know, we've made it work beautifully. And we have kids. And we've been together for this for 21 years. But I think it goes without saying. It hasn't always been easy. There were some times where... Uh, we didn't think we were going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but thank God that our, our love for each other held strong. You know, um, our love for God definitely stayed strong. And I think that's what kept us centered because we know we were accountable, you know, to our faith and and how it, it allows us to operate as um, as a unit. And so forgiveness was is a huge, huge thing for us. Every time that we, you know, mismanage a, a, an item or situation, 
you know, we were very graceful, graceful with each other in these areas. Uh, we're big on that. And so that's really kept our relationship strong and going forward through the ups and the downs. But it wasn't always easy, you know, especially in the beginning. Um, April came with, you know, a lot of the term used is baggage or luggage from her previous relationship. And we had to sort through that. And, you know, I was 24 years at, at the time. I certainly didn't have the language of what DV was, much less understand how to help a person in that situation. So, but all I know is that I loved her and that I wanted to be with her. And so, hmm. you know, thank God that we were able to, to weather that storm. And then when we really became you know, active in our communities on leadership roles, we started uh, doing the work, you know, doing the healing work and the training and the education to truly understand what trauma looks like, what healing looks like, what all of these elements, what self-awareness looks like. And we applied all these, all this education to ourselves and to our relationship, which made us even stronger. And then we started helping others and that helped us learn the information twice. And so um, there are a lot of people that were responsible for helping us mm -hmm. uh, get to this 21st year. We didn't do it alone. Yeah. Look, I, w I was a lot, though. <laughs> I was a lot to handle. I think I was you have a, a right to, to be at that yeah, point. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> I, was, I was a lot to handle. I also came from a home where my mom was very strong. And alpha. alpha operated alpha to the next level where I had to also break away from some of the culture mm -hmm. that I was that I was brought up in my home. And I was like, I don't think I can transfer that <laughs> over to my marriage. I don't think that's going to work. But really, I think your my husband's empathy, you know, it was he really saw something, saw the diamond in the rough. Bless your soul, honey, because <laughs> I, I was not easy. I'm so much better now, but I was I had a lot. And at, and at any point, I was always on the attack. I was always ready to like, before you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And even my language and how harsh it was when I would use it. And these are all the things that no one talks about. The residual, the, 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 the things that follow the you, post. the post, right? Mm -hmm. You leave a relationship and most people just survive. But surviving is not enough. No. How, how, right? How do you thrive? How do you grow? How do you work through that trauma with someone who's willing to just like walk with you? Mm -hmm. See, I, I always think of the word like that, just that feeling of security, even if things are tumultuous at times or whatever, like, you know, a married couple going through rough times. It's when you look at the relationship in general, like that overall feeling of security. But how can you get that with is some experiences that people are faced with, right? Like that is so hard. And both of you, like April, you mentioned praying, you know, when you had had enough. And then Zalo, you mentioned God and you guys had your faith. What role did that play in your healing journey? Because I know your healing journey obviously involved each other. Like April, you said Zalo was a huge part of your healing process. Uh, you, Zalo, you mentioned community outreach, getting involved with everybody around you and how that helped and learning like the tools. But what role did faith play in that, in that healing for you? In full transparency, it played the top spot uh, because I too had to heal from a past. And so 
I, you know, it got to a point where I was dysfunctional in certain areas as well. And April, you know, she kind of reached the end of the road with me. Mm-hmm. And that's when one of the times where I didn't think we were going to make it. And so I literally had to strap on my boots and do the work to heal myself so that I can present myself as the best version mm-hmm. of myself to her in order to offer something and bring something to the table that my partner would want to build the next 100 years with. Yeah. You know, I had to bring something of value. And so I went through a huge shifting in my life, a huge healing uh, in my life. And then when she saw the new me, she said, who the heck is this? (laughs) And then then she in turn had her own experience and she went through a major shift Mm -hmm. in self-healing. And and that's when we knew, okay, we're getting married. We knew because the work that we, that was done, you know, the work, the transformation that we had gone through because of our faith was so powerful and so night and day that we knew that together we would be unstoppable. We would be a, a force to be reckoned with. We, we would make a great couple and we'd want to build the life together. Oh, that's amazing. And, and also when I became a professional speaker, which was after um, shooting Freedom Riders, um, when you are doing this kind of work, you have to make sure that <laughs> that you know yourself, you know your limits, you know your boundaries, and you're, you have knowledge. So I went into, I took so many programs. I studied, I, I, people just adopted me into the DV community and really taught me. And I had phenomenal, I still have phenomenal mentors who, who I had to understand how could I fall into this kind of situation? What were the dynamics? What was that? If I didn't really see it from my dad, but understanding that abuse had come trickled down from when my mom was born in her family down to my father. So domestic violence, that spirit of domestic violence, of intimate partner violence, that was there. So it made sense when I was able to say, oh, now I understand. And that's what we're talking about, doing the work. You are traumatized if you are sexually assaulted or especially with sexual assault. It is your duty, if you can, to really try your best to do all the work, therapy, faith, church, whatever you need to Mm -hmm. do Mm -hmm. to become somewhat, mm, I don't want to say whole because I feel like whole. Restored. Restored. Restored in places where you can love, where if you are having an argument, you don't always have to go back to the trauma. You're just saying, oh, we are married. This is normal, right? So, and you're married, so you know, oh, okay, I don't feel like he's necessarily going to hurt me. So let me not allow that, that moment to come forward. Let me not allow the teenage girl to come forward and fight him as if he's trying to attack me. Understanding those different women I refer to as in my life of like, oh, that's the teenage April. This is the younger, you know, young woman, but this is the restored woman. This is the woman that says, no, I'm not in danger. I'm somebody who loves me, but most importantly, I love myself. And I, and I want to be better. I don't want to carry on 
the trauma and I don't want to make, make him pay for things that he never did. Mm-hmm. It's not his, it, it wasn't his problem. It was something I experienced without him. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, their premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable clothing company founded and created in Toronto. And they're quite cozy, all the clothes. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity. You're just going to ignore my cut in there? (laughs) No, I thought it was good. Okay, well, don't ignore me. I'm trying. Continue. (laughs) They make the best basics for your littles. As Shane said, these are soft. They're comfy. They're fashionable wardrobe staples that you can pass from child to child regardless of gender. And the organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact, non-toxic dyes. Want to know a secret? What? I'm wearing mini miosh right now. Oh, you are the hat. Yes. Shane is wearing a gorgeous toque. This is the most comfortable toque uh, that I've <laughs> ever worn. I We have two of them and I alternate it every day. And I don't know what that wool is. What's that wool called? Marina wool. Marina wool. Whatever this hat is made of. It's the best. Do you want to know a secret? What? I'm also wearing... Mini Miyash. You're you're wearing it head to toe though. I'm wearing it head to toe. I'm wearing their new women's collection. So this is the M and West collection. It's that simple, cozy thing you love from Mini Miyash. Amazing quality. And all these pieces are French terry. They're still made ethically and sustainably. And now I'm like, I'm living the comfort life that Lucy and Betty used to be living. And Shane is just waiting for his turn for the men's collection to go beyond Tooks. Boy can dream. <laughs> so you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and the US and it is only one use per customer. Stock up. Trust me. Stock up. So again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. And now let's get back to the conversation. You know, I think it's it's so hard. It, it in whatever way you are trying to break a cycle that, you know, something you've experienced or something that has been happening in your family, it's hard to be the person to say, I'm going to be the one who ends this and I'm going to try to do my part to give my kids the best option they have not to go through the same thing um, or the best chance at not going through the same thing. So I am curious how this experience and the work that you both do in the DV community, how you bring that into your parenting. And I know your kids are still young, but I mean, like my kids are two and four and I'm already thinking like, oh my God, it keeps me up at night. I can't stop thinking about what situations are going to get into and I have anxiety over it and I'm mm-hmm. so far away. But how how does it or how do you think it will shape parenting in, in those regards? I mean, I think that once once we as parents, we know how the world works. And so, and I want to go back to an earlier point with your mom. Moms know best. They Let do. me just say that. They, they have do. a sense. They have a sixth sense. And it happened to me. I brought an, an older date home one time when I was in my early 19s or 20s. She was maybe 26. And um, I walked in at home. I presented her to my mom and my dad. They were in the living room. She stuck for a while and then she left. After she left, my mom said, come here. <laughs> she said, don't you ever bring that woman back into the house again. I was like, why? She didn't do anything. She's a 
nothing. She, she has a job. What she are you goes, about? She goes, I know. That's not a young woman. That woman has lived her life mm-hmm. and you're just starting yours. No, we're not doing that. And true indeed, it wasn't, it wasn't, she wasn't the right one for me. But moms know. But I think again, going back to this point, we as parents, we know how the world works. And so we want to naturally protect our children from it because we know how dark this world can get. Mm-hmm. You know, having 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 us having us live through some rather dark things. Um, so it definitely influences our parenting. Um, and especially with our oldest daughter, she's 10 now, you know. Bullying is a big thing nowadays. And if you really think about it, bullying can almost be the initial stage of a DV situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we we teach our daughters to be vocal and not to keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. You know, not only to be vocal with with whoever the aggressor is, but to be vocal with us and to trust us Mm -hmm. that we have her best intentions in mind, you know, and. Some people may even find this a little controversial, but we teach our daughters to be tough. Mm-hmm. You know, um, God forbid, you know, you find yourself in the hallway with no adults to 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 um, to guard you, protect you or whatever. You know, you need to learn how to protect yourself. Right. So my daughter takes boxing lessons and kickboxing lessons and wrestling lessons, you know, and I, I, I train with her as well in, in mixed martial arts. And um, some some parents may not take to that, which is fine. But. I know what we do here in this home, you know, not only does she have to protect herself, she has to protect her little sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be for real. The world is a real place right now. Mm-hmm. It's a doozy. And so we're doing everything in our power to 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 empower them to to make better choices. But it even it even all starts with, you know, when you were young. And a boy would hit you. Mm-hmm. And they would like you. oh, he's hitting you because he likes you. Yeah. Uh, you don't go through that because you're a boy. I don't know. If boys are told, "Oh, that girl hits you because you like you." But girls sometimes may tease you a little, a little tough right. or a little tease weird. You. But it's not. It's not. It's not like right. boys. Okay. But- I, so automatically, as a child, you get hit. Oh, he likes you. Mm-hmm. So at ten, we're conditioned to to know if a boy likes me, he's going to act aggressively, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. that's where it begins. That's where it begins saying, no, no one should hit you. No one should touch you, not even your friends. So this is when you begin talking about boundaries with children. This is how you introduce, you know, topics of intimate partner violence by boundaries, by using their voice, by understanding that they can say no and that they should feel free to say no if they feel uncomfortable. Uh, so those are the ways that as parents, with all of the knowledge that we have, that's how we've been starting. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great because it's, you know, just another way to introduce consent too, and have like, I've got two daughters as well. And, you know, consent, even at this age, my oldest just started junior kindergarten. And she said somebody was like poking her. She had all these like little hearts on her uh, jacket. So a boy was like poking all the hearts. And the teacher, I was so happy to hear this, encouraged her to say for herself, hey, stop doing that. And I love that. And, you know, Zalo, I love the idea of raising tough kids, girls, boys, whatever, but tough and empathetic and loving and kind. All those things can go hand in hand. And it is so important. And it's like, you know, we brought up earlier, um, April, you said how it's 
often, not all the time, but often the very charismatic person, the person who knows how to work the room, manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And like I, I went on a date, like a first date in university with a really nice guy. He was so handsome. He was the older brother of one of my friends in university and only two years older, like not significant. He was training to be a doctor. He was in med school. He's a surgeon now. Uh, and he, I, like we went out for ice cream and for a walk around the park, right? Just like so simple and nice and innocent. Get in his car, locked his doors, pulled it out and told me to do something. Wow. Terrified wow. because I also knew a lot of people this guy knew. So this was the last thing that I was ever expecting, right? So I made up an excuse. I was like, oh, let's uh, not do it here. Let's go to my house. Like nobody's home. So we get to my house. The car is moving. So I was able to unlock my door. I sprint in my house and you could see my roommates walking around. So he just peeled out, never heard from him again. But had I not done that, I think Mm -hmm. all the time I'm like, he was like, he worked out like he was a big guy. What could I have done to protect myself in that situation? I don't know how to throw a punch you guys like i jujitsu i know can be so helpful especially for women when you have um, a disadvantage in weight or in size and i think it's such an amazing skill to have just give you one other option if you know if something else doesn't work out and it's it's terrifying i'm glad to hear that i mean your first line of defense was your brain Mm -hmm. you came up with a quick idea that was smart. that was smart. Uh, Thank God. That was that was really smart. Um, sort of talking your way out of it. I think that 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 that's a powerful weapon in of itself. Mm. The last resort would be, you know, violence. Yeah. You know, okay. So now I gotta, you know, now I didn't talk myself out of it. Now he's 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 being aggressive. What do I do next? Mm. That's a legitimate legitimate concern for a lot of women. I'm almost sad to say sometimes the counterparts can be stronger mm-hmm. than, you know, than the person that they're being aggressive with. But yeah, we should have at least something in the back pocket that, you know, can give us a fighting chance, can give women a fighting chance to get out of that situation. So, yeah. And the, and the fact that he even complied to it, like, okay, sure. Yeah. I'm, you're just, you're thinking in your head like this guy. Oh, it was ridiculous. Ridiculous. yeah. Can we get to my house any fa- I, I, yeah it's it's just those moments of making quick choices mm-hmm. that either make or break you yeah. and, I, and I think that you made the best choice possible you didn't overreact mm-hmm. right because sometimes if we overreact it can cause it yeah. to be worse it's just saying okay let me try to take control of this situation and do the best to manipulate him and thinking that yeah I'm with, we- I'm with it I'm yeah. with, dude, we are gonna. It's dude, gonna be amazing. No one's home. No, no one's, one's home. home. I got you. I got you. Meanwhile, you. That was exactly it. That was exactly the conversation. <laughs> and and and, but you know, I, I I tell my daughter all the time. I go, you just have to be quick. You just if somebody if you feel something and you know it's not right, like if you can listen, and then sometimes you just freeze. And and that's what happens um a lot of times with when you're violated. And you're not expecting it, you know, flight, fight or freeze. And so the first time I was slapped, I just froze. Yeah. I, I, my body could not move 
because my brain and my body were not connected. My brain was trying to understand. I just felt something strike your face. And now my face was hot. My ear was ringing and my body went numb. You know, so when they ask, well, why didn't you do something? Because you're not going to always have that. Right. Especially if you're not trained, right? right? If you're not not a you know you, listen an even, MMA fighter who I know at any moment I can punch somebody in the face just because of my instincts. Normal person, or especially a woman who is not a fighter, we're not necessarily thinking that our loved one is going to hurt us. Yeah, no, big time. Well, and I I think that's part of the reason you freeze because this is the person that you love, the person that you trusted. And then that happens. And honestly, like even just getting into little disagreements with my husband now, I don't know what happened to me, but I freeze. He could be like, did you eat the last pickle in the pickle jar? And I'll just, I'll freeze. And I, I hate confrontation. I hate it. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to say. So, you know, God forbid I ever end up in a a situation where somebody's trying to get violent with me. And I, I hope that I know what to do in that situation because where I am in my life right now, I don't have a good relationship with confrontation. Yeah. I mean, and that's definitely, that's when we look at ourselves and say, where did that come from? Where did that, when I am confronted, why is it that I freeze automatically? Like what happened to me? When was a moment that, that changed just my surroundings for me to not be able to react, but you know, to, to freeze, like, for me, it's when we do have arguments and um, he's a big guy and I have a lot of attitude, he says. <laughs> I'm telling you, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. But there are times where I where it does happen, where I do have a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm triggered. Yeah. I'm going to react in a way that is just red and I need to get out of it. But and my, he's never like not putting hands on me, but it's just. When you're in it, your body just thinks you need to get out. That's it. You have to just get out. And and it's amazing how much trauma that we hold and we don't even realize it. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think so many people hold on to so much trauma in different ways, in different trauma. Even, you know, two people coming from DV situations, it's going to look totally different. Um, but through all the work you guys have done, through all the life you've gone through together and, you know, experience you've had April and then Zalo experience in healing with April and then just talking to other victims, I, I kind of want to leave on, you know, what advice you might have for women who might be thinking, is this, am I in a domestic violence relationship? Am I getting abused? What advice would you have for somebody who is starting to think that or realize that if i can start mm-hmm. we'll have one point um for instance uh, going back to our conversation earlier you know you asked april in hindsight did you catch any of the red flags because hindsight is 2020 she said i saw a ton of them well i think that when a person is in a dv situation and they don't know how to recognize those flags educating yourself on what those flags are would be a great step because then you can go off check office and saying, okay, mm-hmm. he is manipulative or she is manipulative. They do get aggressive. They do violate my space. They do violate my boundary. I think I'm in a domestic, I'm in a DV relationship. Yeah. So I think recognizing the signs is step number one. 
And there's more than enough information out there out um, to to for someone to to recognize. I think that's profound because I didn't have access to information. We have so much access to information. Yeah, fingertips at the fingertips. All you have to do is type. What does a DV relationship look like? What are the you know? And it'll bring you. It'll bring you. You know, ten signs you're in an abusive relationship. Thank God for that. Thank God. Because, you know, a woman, can you imagine the amount of, of the abuse that happened during the pandemic? Oh, it's skyrocketed. Where, where, I mean, where you couldn't leave the house now. So how do I, no one was ready for that. I don't think even all the educators and everybody who has, no one is ready for, oh, wow, usually we can create a safety plan and this is what you do. But what happens when you can't leave? And you're here with this person. So going online and even as simple as saying, what are the five signs of an abusive relationship? Am I, do I check all those? I think that's phenomenal. Just if you check off the first five, most likely you're in a situation that is very unhealthy. And, and, And then saying, okay, wow, now what do I do with this information? I think I think finding a person that you can confide in, right? You know, so that you're not going through this alone. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, resources mm-hmm. out there uh, for people in DV situations where you can talk to a counselor. And counselors are real quick to not tell you to leave. I mean, there's right. a protocol, yeah, you know, right? You you're not supposed to leave right away. Leave. And I think sometimes for someone who's in a very serious, life-threatening DV relationship. There are certain steps to take Mm -hmm. that these resources can help you with so that, you know, the outcome, you know, you get the best results, you know, you get safe, Mm -hmm. especially if there are children involved, because one wrong move can set this person off. And next thing you know, we're dealing with something horrible. Um, Also creating uh, trails. So saving text messages, voice notes, emails, anything that if this person is threatening you with, Take screenshots, send it to somebody that you trust, um, put it in, in, a, in a secret place. If you can print them out and you begin creating this trail mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that way you have all of these, all evidence. of this evidence to yeah. say, this is what has happened. Writing in a diary can be great. Just make sure that they, you know, you can hide it in a place that they can find it. But these really are all, you know, we're dealing right now. We know family members who are experiencing this and they have, they, they said, when I go to court, I have a whole folder of everything. And that is only going to help you in the court um, when you're presenting your case. And those are, those are things that when I'm talking about advice, that's the advice to hold on to. Now, when you leave, that's a different story. You know, if you can find a place of a shelter that not only provides you shelter, but provides therapy as well, there's some sort of counseling that you can find that helps everything for you. Because when you leave, you're so, you're so broken. You're so scared. You don't know who to trust. You don't even trust yourself. You just want someone to help you um, and to be there for you. And for those on the other end that we don't talk about, right? On the, the receiving end. No, no, not the aggressors. The people who are helping them. It is a normal question to ask. Why does someone stay? I don't get mad at that question anymore. Because like you said in the beginning, no one wakes up and they're like, oh my gosh, 
I want to be abused. Like this year, I totally want to be in an abusive relationship. That's my goal. That That is not a goal that most people want from a healthy, loving relationship. But when someone comes to you and they say that I am being abused, the greatest thing you can do is listen. Just listen and say, what do you need right now? Can I get you some water? Can I get you some, just, do you need something to eat? Do you need money, money to get around? And, and, and empathy, empathy, just seeing them and not, not forcing them to, to make a decision. Cause then that's, that's re-victimizing them. That's making them feel like, okay, I have to do this. Not telling them to leave, not belittling them, that word again. Um, and putting them down and saying, why are you in that relationship? You're stupid. Who does that? They don't need to hear any of that. Yeah. Just need someone to say, I, I, I hear you. I don't have all the answers for you, but, but I'm here for you. And if, and if you need to come to my house and you need to go on my computer so you feel safe, you can do that. If you need me to look up, you know, some things, information, uh, information online, I will be willing to do that for you. And those are some of the, that's the advice, I, I guess, you know, once again, it's, it's, we don't have enough time, but those are the simple, tangible things that people can do. No, I, I think it's so good. And I think you guys are such a wealth of just knowledge on this again, from experience. And then from the advocacy that you do, I, I think you're both so amazing. And I do truly appreciate you sitting down with me tonight. I've had a really amazing time talking to you. Uh, Thank you. But I want to know where can where can people go to see you on social media to see any of your speaking engagements to buy your books? Where can they do all this? Absolutely. Well, embracing me. That's my newest book, my memoir. Uh, my husband, he shot the cover. I just have to shout him out. Uh, <laughs> and um, that they can buy it on Amazon. Amazing. Uh, obviously, on social media for my Instagram is at April L Hernandez. Um, There's also a she has a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find her YouTube channel. On, on we normally, you know, occasionally we put uh, up some media there. April Hernandez um, speaks. April Hernandez speaks on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, my Instagram is Zalo underscore Castillo. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a lot of our samples of our work there as well. So we have a number of places. We're on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well. LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn, April, yeah. April Hernandez Castillo, and and we we have a great program for parents called Pave. It's called Pi Parents Against Violence Education, because what I realized is we do everything for our kids. We educate them, we feed them, all the things, but yet we are the ones with the least amount of information. And when we feel helpless, we go, well, what can we do? And that's when my husband and I created that. We were saying, let's educate and support parents. Let's, let's give them some of the tools and things on how to deal with, with certain situations. Um, and let's do it in workshops. Let's do it as we speak. And it's been, it's been groundbreaking because a lot of the parents are going through their own abuse. No, that's it's in whether you are or not, you know, something like that is invaluable because you don't know what's going to come up in your life. You don't exactly. know what's going to come up in your kid's life. It's invaluable to have those skills, that language. You know, you were talking a lot about language in the beginning about how you didn't have that mm -hmm. as a young person. You do now. We want to be equipped as parents for that's that. Right. But right. no, you guys, the work you do is amazing, honestly. And you're, this was so pleasant, but also adorable. And I have to, I have to point this out. 
But when one of you would be talking and the other one would be listening, the look in your eyes, it's pretty cute. Uh, <laughs> I was watching that the whole time. Are you serious? I, I couldn't I couldn't not notice it. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cute. But so, oh. is, it, is it the googly eyes? The yeah, loving eyes? After, after 21 years, I can tell you guys are still gaga and I like it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, 21 and 15 years married and, and it's it's just, you know, when I when I had told you, I think my husband would be really good on this because mm-hmm. no one ever talks really about post yeah. and finding a healthy relationship and really being able to work through that. Because when you're going through an abusive relationship, you you think you're never going to find love yeah. or how can anyone love you? when you've been so broken. And so having him um, speak and give his perspective, especially for men, because I think men have a lot of questions and I think men have perspectives and sometimes they don't always feel like they have the place to say anything, but, but this is where it starts. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. And I, I love, I love the teamwork. I love it all. You guys, seriously, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure meeting you and I will absolutely, I'll give you an email um, when we're about to hear the episode. Oh, you are amazing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. And have a very merry, merry Christmas and happy holidays. Absolutely, I will. You guys have a merry Christmas too. (laughs) Because, you know, it's like tomorrow. (laughs) It's the season. Nice meeting you guys. Bye. All right. That was a good interview, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. It was an amazing interview. And honestly, I can't wait to have them back because we barely scratched the surface on the post, like they said. So I'm really looking forward to having them back to talk about that part of people's journeys and, you know, what what they can do for themselves at that point. Speaking of journeys, we're on a journey right now to answer you, the listeners' questions that you have submitted. When I say we, I mean Alex. It's true. But Shane, before we get to it, uh, can I make a confession? That what? You submitted all the questions this week. No, of course not. But I do have a confession. I spent $8 on something. Guess what I spent the $8 on? I'm embarrassed. Ga- gasoline? You <laughs> that too for the car. No, the gasoline was $13. What? You don't know what everybody's spending $8 on right now? Is it a weird vibrator? <laughs> That's like cheap. That's cheap. I don't know. No. I haven't bought one in months. Shane, my narcissism made me do it, and I couldn't not, and I was so curious. Oh. I, I had you to. You got those, <laughs> like, portrait things? Yeah. I wanted to see what happened. And it's, like, the weirdest thing. You it, spent eight bucks. Yeah. Alex, we, we said we were going to talk about purchases. Let's see this. Oh my goodness. Give me that. <laughs> I think you're the only person who actually looks worse on these things. Oh, Shane, I didn't even save the ones where I look oh the worst. Oh my goodness. Which one are you looking at? Look at your eyes. They oh. did a number on you. No, okay, listen. I actually think that they captured my eyes perfectly because one of my eyes does is smaller than the no, other this eye. This is like sloth from Goonies. Shane, that's how I look. It's actually how I perceive myself in my eyes. This is weird. Okay. I you should see. Wait, let me show you. Let me show you a funny one. Okay. All they right. really they really jut out my chin in a lot of them. Like I know I have big chin AI, but they really made a this meal. This is like of a it. midsummer one, eh? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> How many of these did you pay for? No, for eight dollars you get a hundred. You get a <laughs> hundred? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 
So people go through when you see people posting their AI That's photos. That's their favorites. They've okay, like give it to me. I gotta show you something. So they literally show you only the good ones. Um, and they don't show you the ones where they look like a total troll because that happens. <laughs> oh my goodness, give me that. That does not look like you. That looks yeah. <laughs> and then give wow. it to me again. This is terrible I'm, radio right I'm now. I'm going to show you. I'm so sorry. Wait, wait, wait. She's showing me photos. No, folks. no, no. no. We, we, Eric is going to speed this up, but I do want to just show you one more that was really funny. Hold on. So they made me into like some like elf thing, mm-hmm. but it, they, they don't look like you. So the ones that, that you're seeing, like you. and I, I want to bring this up so that people don't spend the $8 because they don't really look like you. And like I said, the whatever, five to 10 photos you're seeing people post are them picking those out of literally 100. Wow. Some people buy 200. Wow. It's like 15 bucks for 200. It's crazy. This is disgusting. <laughs> I but thought it's... these were honest people just posting the most narcissistic <laughs> photos of themselves. Then I t- it turns out they're curating them. Not on my watch. All right. The first question, I feel better having gotten that off my chest though, Shane. I was nervous to tell you. Uh, but the first question, is there such thing as too much texting or messaging your partner? So I, I think yes. And I think that it depends on the situation. In a lot of situations, maybe no, and it depends what you're texting. But if they're working, if they're out socially, whatever. And I I think we all know inherently where the line is. We all know when we are texting and texting just to fulfill our own needs rather than allow them to fulfill their needs by working or going out or whatever it is. We all know where that line is. And a lot of us, myself included, cross it anyway. But I, I do think that there that there is a line. And it's just like, you know, sometimes I put my my needs before Shane's, you know, if he's out. And I'm like, I really, I, I need that response before I, I can go to sleep or whatever. I spit out my drink. Why? For you to admit that. <laughs> um, but, but it's hard, you know, like if Shane's out or something or like, at a cottage or out for like with his guy friends, you know, they like to vacation together. Out at a cottage. When have I been out at a cottage? Um, in Rochester. <laughs> the one time, my if, okay. Well, I was texting you good night, and you weren't texting me back good night, and it took every freaking fiber in me to be like, okay, I'm going to sleep, and then I'd wake up at three a.m. and I'd look at my phone. You didn't text me back, and it took every fiber in me to then say again. I'm just going to go to sleep and I'm not going to let this well, bother I me. I texted you good night when I went to bed at 5 a.m. No, you didn't, Shane. Maybe you didn't get it. Maybe I was in the woods. I was at a cottage. That's a baloney excuse. I did not get it because it didn't exist. Have I ever over texted you before? Only if we're like kind of arguing over text. You think that's me trying to work it out? That's, the, that's a good method to work things no, out. No, I love argue texting because... I can actually say things, whereas I can't when I'm speaking to you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So I there actually, you go. I love our so texting. Yeah, it, it wasn't helps. over-texting. No. So no, I don't think you're an over-texter. I think I'm the over-texter. 
But not if always. If we had to pick, I don't think you're an over-texter, but if we had to pick, you certainly are. Yeah, but in general. But I, I do think I can get there. If I'm feeling like insecure or lonely, that's when I tend to cross the border into over-texting. You always feel lonely. That is true. <laughs> uh, okay, next question. How do you involve toddlers in giving back to the less fortunate? So we're kind of doing that right now. Uh, you guys know we're doing this family tree Christmas drive, or maybe you don't know. Started it um, spontaneously last week, and it is amazing. And we are getting so many people taking part. We're collecting for uh, a couple local charities. And the girls, like Lucy and Betty, are taking – Betty doesn't know what the hell is going on. But Lucy knows that she is going to be going through her old toys, and she's going to be finding toys that she doesn't play with anymore that we can give to other families. So we're going to look at things that are still in good shape and, you know – and she's going to help. And I think that's a really good way of getting them involved at a young age because it's something tangible and they could see something that's like, this meant a lot to me at one point. And it's even though I don't play with it, it's still hard to give away. So they're still kind of learning about sharing what you have. Um, and I, th- I just think it's a really good introduction. Yeah, I think getting them in the habit of associating a feeling with sharing or giving like uh we recently unfortunately had one of our favorite neighbors in the world pass and our lucy's grandmother or her babsha as uh, lucy calls her made cookies to make the um the husband of the deceased feel better and lucy delivered those cookies that they made together and i think lucy got a real sense of satisfaction off the giving yeah. And I think that that can be hard for kids sometimes because you make these delicious cookies. You want to eat them all yourself, but you just get in the habit of giving and getting that positive feeling, I think, can be uh, not addicting, but definitely a, a good feeling that they want mm-hmm. to feel again. Yeah. And getting that started younger is is a good way to do it. And of course, like anything, it's it's modeling, right? Mm-hmm. And if they see you having a hard time and not wanting to give things away, or if they see you like not engaging conversations about how you can help out your community or people in need maybe on um, a a more macro scale, whatever it is, then they're not going to see how meaningful that can be and why it's important. So I I think it does need to start with us as parents. Yeah. The next question, how do you feel about papers taking a story from your Instagram and TikTok and making it their news? I saw Betty's haircut made the news in a couple different papers. Did it? Did you see that? Yeah, I know this is what the person's saying. No, but di- have you seen that? Yeah. 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 So but but it's just like other TikToks that we've done where like tabloid type papers pick it up. I do think in a lot of cases AI is writing these stories. They're so bad and they're all the same. Mm-hmm. I do think AI technology writes them. and I'm not exaggerating or lying. Shane, I don't think so because we recently had a journalist reach out and say, hey, that's can, different. But it's the same, exactly the same style, exactly the same formatting er- types of errors that were made. It's very similar. That was a human. Yeah, sure. But I can tell when AI is writing something and. There are plenty of stories about you and I that clearly an AI with no beating heart has written. <laughs> That's what I thought of this journalist. No, no. this <laughs> I could tell that was a real journalist. Yeah. There. Anyway, how do we feel about it? Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm so once you put yourself out there, you put yourself out there. So you have to if you're going to get in the water, you get wet. And I think as long as it's not super disparaging, you have to be able to laugh it off. I I think ultimately too, when it cuz we actually have a question about this next, but I think ultimately we treat it as a fun kind of funny thing that happened Betty oh my gosh you were in the newspaper for your silly haircut when you were a baby and we don't make it a negative thing but a fun thing and something we can you know look at and remember fondly and then that kind of frames it in your kid's mind too Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean but you know when we did the Johnny Depp Amber Heard video Sometimes the the to get more clicks, I guess they try to take you down a notch. It was yeah. like Shane and uh, Alex are being brutalized online, <laughs> and they they try to make it some headline to, and, and you cringe a little bit. And I, I liken it to back in the Facebook days where you you go out with your friends, and then you wake up in the morning, you're tagged in all these <laughs> terrible photos. And you can either take it super negative or just say, hey, this goes with the territory and you laugh it off. And that's mm-hmm. what I think you and I both do. Because a lot of those, the, when especially when we're talking about the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard ones, were trying to make us look or feel bad in a way. Well, Shane, even the one that is not even in papers yet that somebody just wrote and sent to us for approval. Yeah. The same thing. It it was just about parenting opinions. That might be controversial. So like they were, we don't force our kids to hug and kiss people. This is based off a popular TikTok we did about mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. Yeah. That I guess has picked up steam in the UK <laughs> and they wanted to write an article on it. Yeah. And then the other thing is like we put our relationship first and we we try not, we, we avoid looks-based language, positive or negative. So the headline they gave us was like, People call us controversial because we put ourselves before our kids and we never call our daughters pretty. And they are saying it as if it's a quote from me. And it was never obviously a quote from me. And it's just that kind of sensational pseudo journalism, whatever, to get clicks in the Internet. And and these are young people trying to gain entry into the bigger world. They're learning. So these are the type of stories they put out and they know... If it bleeds, it leads. And that's yeah. kind of the hyperbolized uh, version of what what they're doing. They're trying to make us look bad rather than good. So this kind of leads into another question. And I really like this because it's from our editor. It's so, from Erica? Yeah. So she said, have you thought about when the time comes that Lucy and Betty want to listen to the pod? And then I read that and I immediately messaged her in a bit of a panic. Why? And I was like... Erica, like, what do you mean? Like, you know our podcast probably more intimately than anybody else because you're editing it every week. Should they be nervous? Should I be nervous? And she said, oh, my God, don't panic at all. I didn't mean it for it to come off like that. But sometimes talking about hanky-panky talk and you guys are very open and honest, I feel like most kids get nervous to hear their parents talk like that, but it can also be really good. Also, if they listen, uh, they will feel so loved by how you talk about them. And then she said that it came into her mind last week when she was editing us having conversation about Santa not being real. So first of all, I hope that if our kids are old enough to listen to us talk about hanky-panky and drop the odd F-bomb, I hope they know Santa Claus isn't real by that point. Yeah. Um, You know, I had a situation (laughs) the other day where I got an edit back and it was pretty cool because I'm doing the sketch show. 
And in the edit, an asteroid hits the earth and burns me <laughs> till I become a skeleton. And I was very proud of the the work that our special effects person did. And at the time, I had already showed it to you. I'm, I wasn't around very many people to brag to. <laughs> so there's Lucy. I'm like, hey, want to see daddy's show? And Lucy has a fairly good grasp of the entertainment industry shooting and acting for a four-year-old. Yeah. And she watched it and she was like, oh, my goodness. She's like, you turned into a skeleton and you looked like that. And she's like, she had a moment where she kind of looked scared for a second. She's like, how did you do that? And I was like, oh, it's through editing. And then this person with special effects did that. And then she, you know, felt good. But it's it's all to say I tend to share maybe a hair more with. Lucy or Betty than probably other parents might feel comfortable doing. And I I don't know if that's for better or worse, but definitely it's my style of parenting. And I think it's been effective so far with Lucy. So if if she heard anything on the podcast that was a little bit weird, embarrassing, and she confronted me about it, I would just be very open and honest and, and not embarrassed of it. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I also think it has a lot to do with what kind of values you instill in your home life. So if they see us being flirty or whatever at home, it's not going to, you know, have them keel over with embarrassment when Mm -hmm. they hear us talking about something or flirting publicly because it's just going to feel so, oh, that's just my mom and dad. You know what I mean? Yeah, and what really is this big thing to be scared of? Like, what what is it? Like, why why are we scared of it i i don't know i don't know like to me i found as a kid it was finding things like that in my house or whatever and it made me scared when i found it Mm -hmm. whereas it wouldn't if i knew it wasn't scary yeah but i I remember as a six-year-old finding something and just felt like petrified (laughs) that i just stumbled across something that i inherently knew i shouldn't be seeing yeah and it felt very wrong and that can create maybe a weird relationship with certain things that you shouldn't have a weird relationship with. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. But it felt like I was committing a crime. I felt oh, yeah. like I was living in a place of sin. You know, it just like, you know, I was going to, this is the height of my Sunday school going days too. And I was curious. I had questions. I was scared to ask. And it can create a weird relationship with all that sort of thing. And you almost think that it's bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that that's why um the it's kind of the way I like to to parent is very open and honest. Even mm-hmm. if I stumble a little bit along the way, I think ultimately it's for the greater good. Yeah, and then when it comes to like the kids and what we do and everything, I think it's important that because we're living a little bit more publicly, it's so you, you need to take your kids into in their boundaries as they develop boundaries into consideration. And, you know, if we're taking a family picture, Luce says, I don't I don't want to be in the mm-hmm. picture. I don't want somebody to take a picture of me. He don't pressure her. Say, okay, yeah. now's not a picture time. Fine. That's cool. And if they say, hey, don't talk about me on the podcast. Don't use my image on Instagram, whatever, then you just don't. You pivot and you take a different direction. And it's about internalizing their boundaries and mm-hmm. act like respecting them. Because you can hear them, but you have to respect them. It is tough, though. It's like if yeah. Lucy says she wants to be on Instagram, she is four. Her opinion could change the next day. Of course. It's tough. Oh, of course. 
I'm just like, honestly, I'm like, who cares? Just throwing them. And I know people have super like, I don't show my kids faces. Mm. I put little X's or hearts or smiley faces. I just don't care about that. I don't care about it. And obviously it Lucy says yes. And that's, you know, she can be ostensibly manipulated into saying yes, I guess in weird yeah. ways. So I, I don't know. All I know is personally, I don't feel like it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. For for me, and that that's really what I go on. And obviously, like you're saying, if she said no, I wouldn't. But even her yes, I still recognize she's four. Yeah. And she really doesn't know the uh, implications of what Instagram is or what that even means to go online. She doesn't understand the internet. So a yes, although it's better than a no, she truly doesn't understand what's going on. No, absolutely. And, and then that's where it also just comes down to parents having to make – if yeah. you're choosing to do that, you have to choose to do it consciously and then be making very conscious decisions every time you post yeah. and every time your kid's involved. I'm rolling the dice a little bit that both our parents are in the entertainment industry. We both yeah. have predilections to be drawn to this. We're both attention-y seekers. Lucy seems to have those same inclinations <laughs> and that. I'm just thinking there's a 98% chance she's going to be cool with it. But like anything else there's an inherent risk and maybe she'll be mortified in five years and we'll have to do pay some company to like wipe her off. (laughs) All right. So our next question, Christmas presents, how many from Santa versus mom and dad? So if you're okay, so sorry, there's this is a two parter. I just think of kids going to school and Santa being very different for each kid. And I've seen this before. You've probably seen it too, Shane, on social media where it's like, Save the big presents for mom and dad because, you know, not every kid can get big presents from Santa, whatever. And I, the first couple times I saw it, I was like, yeah, this makes so much sense. But then I was like, but then hold on, you know, the some kids are still getting way more and way bigger gifts than other kids. And instead of putting the blame on Santa, you're just putting it on their mom and dad. So I, I don't think shifting the reason is a good idea so i ultimately Mm -hmm. don't think it care it matters i think you need to address with your kids just in an age-appropriate way that they'd understand like you know some kids get that amount other kids get this amount other kids get nothing i say who cares i think there's a big myth that kids believe in santa a lot longer than they actually do I think you have till five, maybe six, maybe five. Lucy's already telling me she doesn't know if she really believes in Jolly. And Lucy's only four. Jolly's the alpha yeah, shop. As long as, like, who cares what they say to their friends? Just come up with some excuse on the yeah. spot. If they're going to believe your excuse on the spot, they're going to believe in Santa. If they're not, they're already too inquisitive to believe in Santa. And thus the illusion's broken. Like, there's some parents with like eight, nine, 10 year olds who thinks their kids still do. They're doing it for you. They don't want to admit. They know that there's like a give take situation here. I can promise you. I think I must have been around eight though when I realized. Okay, but you're pre-internet. I'm talking yeah. about nowadays. It's it's a lot different. The information ages out there. Like we got a two year old playing with like iPads. She knows how to like dismiss messages when she's watching her ASMR videos. She knows she knows how to work TikTok, Betty. Yeah, she can like. <laughs> she can't speak. She knows like she can work algorithm. Like it's, it's a whole different world out there. You're delusional if you think 
you even have to think about this because you don't. And I do want to preface that too. Like Betty doesn't use TikTok often. Literally the girls only watch like specific ASMR videos Mm -hmm. on it. But in that little world, Betty can work it and go to different profiles and choose the video she wants. And it is bizarre because it's not even an everyday thing. If you're a total narcissist, Santa gives the shit gifts and mommy and daddy are king and they give the better gifts. I was just going to say that. If you're kind of 50% person, sometimes you feel the split it even. Santa gives the same amount as parents. Or if you're totally like this altruistic person, it's like mommy and daddy are only giving you the stocking stuffers (laughs) and then Santa just backs up the Brinks truck. Who does that? I think that is a wild parenting move. And I got to say... Go to Amazon. You can get the the best stocking stuffers because kids don't even care what's in there. They just want the quantity of the Santa stuff. So I got a thing of like 24 Play-Dohs for yeah. 24 bucks and I'm going to do 12 and 12. And then I got the Crayola paints. Folks, if you have not used these, they're the best kid paints in the world because it comes out of everything, clothes, furniture, whatever. It just washes right off. The colors are beautiful, uh, but it's Crayola kids paint, mm-hmm. whatever. Also, really cheap. Throw that in the stockings. And then I'm going to hit up the dollar store. She wants a yo-yo. She wants a pink yo-yo. I'm going to go get a pink yo-yo. She also wants a full castle she can live in. And a bow and arrow. And a bow and arrow. But I I took her to Limeridge Mall recently, and we went in a few toy stores, and I took pictures of items she pointed at. She goes, I want this for Christmas, this. They weren't too expensive. She wants Princess from Mario, this little stuffed animal that's at this, like, um, it's like a Japanese stuffed animal store. Yeah, yeah. So I took pictures. They're fairly cheap. Everything would come to under $80. And right, I'm just going right. to get her all the items that I took pictures of and put them in her stocking and stuff. And she'll Perfect. feel really good about that. And then just copy yeah. it for Betty so they don't argue. Yeah. But growing up, my mom did the thing where the best gift was from her, but most of the gifts were from Santa. Oh. What did, what did you do? Santa just gave us some wicked stockings. And then all the presents under the tree were from my parents. See, I don't like that. Why? Because I believe the way we're told in the mythology of Santa is that he's making real gifts. Not that stocking stuffers aren't amazing and special in their own right. But to me, I always look at stockings as bonus. The real gifts are under the tree. And that's what Santa has traditionally been taught to children that he's bringing. Oh, no. Wait. Okay. So. He's placing shit under the tree. No, no, no. I got to say. I got to say. The stockings that we had, like as a kid, the stockings were the best part, not, honestly. I, I, I want to preface. Stockings are amazing, and sometimes, yes, they are the best. Uh, what What is really special is, oh, after you think all the main presents are done, you look over and they're still s- stocking, and it's like, there's more, and it's great. But wait the, a second. the big ticket items are under the tree. Shane, everybody, everybody knows you open the stockings first. We also do that in our house. So you're not looking over and then no. being like, there's still a stocking. Even as a married couple, we put... always do stockings first, you goober. Wait, we you... wake up in the morning and we take down our stockings in the living room and we go through them. I don't do that. And That's the last do... thing. No, Shane, you and I together for seven years have done it that way together. Not at our house. Yes, at our house with our kids. No, I have photo do, evidence. Alex, we do stockings last. I give you oh your main God. gifts. I hand them to you. You do after the stockings because the kids wake up and we do the stockings while we're having our coffee and then we do main gifts and okay. then we go out of the house to I'm our just, parents or whatever. Well, true Christmas is the Christmas I grew up with. <laughs> this is some like weird adult pretending Get thing. out. Um, 
yeah, we've done it literally for the past seven years. With you, there's no rules. I just throw presents at you like before Christmas even happens. I'm like, I've already given you your main Christmas gift. (laughs) Your Dyson Airwrap. (laughs) It's the best too. And it made me cry when when I, even though I knew it was coming, it still made me cry. We don't follow any traditions in this house. This house, like it's for the kids Christmas. When I go to my mom's and open gifts, I actually feel like I'm a kid again. Mm-hmm. And then I do like the real Christmas here. It's like I still feel like we're playing adult. Do you feel that to some extent? No, because the kids, the kids do bring me into it. Honestly, the past oh, couple. I'm not years. saying I'm not sucked in, but I am the arbiter of it. I'm the creator. At when I go to my mom's, she's decorated that house, planned it all, everything under the tree. Everything is for mm-hmm. me in a sense. Yeah. Here. There's no Christmas magic. I'm the Christmas magic. No, I get that because I, I feel that when we go to my parents. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. Yeah. This is where I, I feel like this is a make-believe place that we've created. No, I, I totally get that. And uh, But yeah, no, I stockings first. And oh, I will say too, <laughs> um, our stockings would always be on our door handle. So I remember as a kid waking up. So we had like the regular stocking, but it, we, mm-hmm. they were still jumbo. But then my mom always got an actual like pantyhose stocking and then yeah. she'd fill them because you can stretch oh, that thing so out long. for like 20 feet. So I remember at like 4 a.m. sneaking out of bed to see if oh, me too. the stocking. Best feeling in the world. The best. And then also I try to like measure with my eyes how long this the pantyhose stocking was yeah and i try to be like oh that's like bigger than me this is a good christmas and then jake and i like my brother we'd go and grab the stockings and they were so hard to carry especially the pantyhose one because just like Mm -hmm. a snake and it took us like 40 minutes to go through those things because there was so much stuff like my mom knows how to do a stocking that's what i gotta get better my mom was really good and like it like yours there would be the main stocking and Mm -hmm. obviously those things are always a little too small but then like a big plastic bag yes. filled with yes. shit and then stuff just like out in the open that's not even trying to be like <laughs> yeah. se- like secretly wrapped. So my mom was very good at that also. But when did you stop believing in Santa? What age? I don't know. I got to ask my parents. I'm thinking maybe around eight. But I, Your I, parents won't know because there's always a few years, I think, where you're lying to the parents. I don't know. I think... Yeah. I think they know, though, the age that I started being, like, maybe oh, questioning I would it. never give it up. I was, like, 10, just lying my ass off because I, I didn't want to ruin the magic for them. <laughs> it is fun as a parent to Yeah, make and especially kid. there was no internet back then. Yeah. So it was, like, they didn't know as much. They weren't in the loop with, like, what was going on. No, I do. I do love the magic, and I love seeing it on the kids' faces. Like, even Lucy, who is questioning Jolly, she is now at the point where she is sneaking downstairs before she wakes up us up to yeah. go and look for Jolly. And then she'll bring me down, and she'll be like, Mommy, look. Look where she is mm-hmm. today. And then she gets this big surprise face on. She's, like, so excited that she already knows where it is and everything. Oh, yeah. It's it's very adorable. It gets me so excited. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. so excited for Christmas. Yeah. No, me too. Especially now that I have my air wrap, I can have myself looking real good. Oh, good. Well, is that the podcast? That's the podcast, babe. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to us ramble on and on about God knows what. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I mean, thank you for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast, Podcast, episode 153.